0: Well, Father in heaven, we just again thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, for the Amen Conference. And as we specifically study your word and talk about examples of the power of prayer, just pray that this could be effective um, to encourage each of us to do this better, more consistently, and in an effective way in our practices. Teach us Jesus' method of reaching the heart, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, Pastor Mark.
1: Thank you, Dr. Swartz. It's good to see you. It's always nice to teach when people are in the audience. If you didn't have anybody, it would be more difficult. Um, 25 years ago, I was flying to an appointment, and my son was sitting next to me. He was in his teens at the time. He was reading USA Today front page. And he turned to me and he said, Dad, you're going to be really interested in this article. And he handed me USA Today, and there was a front-page article that was titled, Does Prayer Make a Difference? And the article reported on the work of Dr. Larry Dorsey, and it talked about experiment, uh, studies that were done in intercessory prayer and the impact that that was having on patients. I became really interested in that so contacted Larry Dawsey. I was with it as written television at the time and I said, Dr. Dawsey, I've always been interested in prayer. You were featured on CNN, you were featured in ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, uh, Fox News. You were uh, making the news circuits, the Sunday morning shows. Um, I'd love to do an interview with you. I'm a Christian. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Adventists have a large medical Um, facilities all around the world, and Dr. Dorsey came out. Now, what I didn't know was something about his Eastern mysticism leanings at the time, which I discovered quite a bit later. Uh, Dr. Dorsey believed that uh, when you prayed, there was a kind of an energy that left you and entered into the other person to promote healing. He also believed that you could you could pray for petri dishes and the bacteria would grow more rapidly and so I began to learn a lot about Dawsey. but he is the one that at least opened the door for me to begin to study intercessory prayer and certainly not Eastern mysticism so don't get nervous Um, it was really interesting to navigate that TV interview that I had with him and to keep us on the biblical track what about intercessory prayer though Why does intercessory prayer work or does it? Does it make any difference if you pray for your patients or if you don't pray for your patients? Um, There are three things I think about intercessory prayer for our patients that really uh, we need to consider. Number one, when patients are prayed for they themselves feel more confidence in the practitioner that prays for them. And with that positive mental attitude, it releases positive chemical endorphins that help the healing process. I think that when a patient has confidence in the provider, it makes a dramatic difference. And so God creates a spiritual atmosphere. Secondly, when patients pray, when they pray for themselves, there is very good scientific evidence. There's about 208, the last I checked, studies that have been done on religion and healing, faith and healing. And the evidence, I think, is overwhelming that people who have spiritual leanings, people that pray, people that study the word of God, people that attend church, tend to have better health outcomes than those that don't. And I think when a person prays and they have confidence in God, it gives them a, a sense of divine interaction in their life. But there's a third area, and that's the area that I want to spend most of my time with you on, and that's this. That God works through intercession in ways that the human mind may not fully comprehend or understand in ways that he would not work or didn't work if we didn't pray. That God intervenes, that as Christians we believe that God moves powerfully and he intervenes in life because of prayer. I want to look at the theological basis for that before Dr. Schwartz comes on and gives us some practical uh, examples of intercessory prayer. So the question is this, does God interact with human beings in a process of healing in ways that the human mind may not fully comprehend or understand when we pray and if we didn't pray would those same outcomes take place? Is God doing everything he can to work the process of healing with your patience, whether you pray or not? And if indeed he is, what difference does intercessory prayer make? Or maybe God is doing everything he can, but our prayers enable God to do more than he could have done otherwise. Let's look first at the biblical theology of intercessory prayer. You find that, I think, one in some of the most clearly, clearer places, in Paul's epistles, we're going to go to 1 Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. It's his first imprisonment. It is 61 AD or thereabouts, early 60s. Paul's in his mid 50s. And you look at Colossians chapter 1. Now, Paul has. N- likely never been to Colossia before. He's gotten word from that uh, there are heresies in the church. So Paul begins to pray for the church at Colossia. And I want you to notice the specificity of Paul's prayer. Now it's not that Paul is present influencing the church because he's not there. He's in prison in Rome. Colossia is in Turkey. And if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So Paul is in a dark, damp, dirty dungeon in Rome. He's on his knees praying that the church in Colossia will be filled with the wisdom of God. Then it says, in all spiritual understanding, verse 10, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul prays for members in the church at Colossia that they would be fully pleasing to God, that they would be fruitful of good works and increase in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. That they would be strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power, for all patience in long suffering with joy. So Paul prays that they will be filled with the very power of God. He is not there, so Paul believed in intercessory prayer. He believed that as his prayers ascended to heaven, that God would send angelic forces, that He would send His Holy Spirit to people in Colossae. You find that also in the book of Ephesians, Paul again writes Ephesians about at the same time that he writes Galatians, I've read the Colossians. We look at Ephesians chapter one, and Paul says this. Um, he says in verse sixteen of Colossians one that we do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Very specific. He's not praying for anybody in this prayer. He's praying for the church in Ephesus. That God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling is. So Paul is praying that they could see clearly. So evidently, the apostle Paul believed in intercession. He believed that when we pray, God does things when we pray that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. Ellen White reaffirms this in Great Controversy, page 525, when she says, God will do an answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not do did we not thus pray. God will do an answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not do if we would not thus pray. And then Ministry of Healing 509 says prayer and faith will do what no power on earth will accomplish. So if indeed that is true, and it is, it's biblical, why is it true? Why does God act in certain ways when we intercede for somebody who is ill? Then what, what, what enables God to do that? Isn't God the God of healing? Isn't he facilitating healing before we pray? He is. He is. We find some help in understanding this, in understanding free will and the great controversy between good and evil. There are many passages in the Bible that urge us to pray. There are very few passages in the Bible that tell us what happens when we pray. 1 John chapter 5 is, only, is one of the only chapters in the Bible that take the curtain aside and help us what, understand what happens when we intercede for others. And you're looking there at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and onward. Now this is the confidence we have in him. Now the confidence is not in ourselves, the confidence is not in our prayers. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desire we asked of him. Now, verse 16 is the verse I'm really interested in. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, what's the sin that leads to death? What's that called? Holy
2: Spirit.
1: Yeah, the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. So this person has not committed the unpardonable sin. He will ask. Now, who is the he that does the asking, the intercessor? And he, who's the second he? God will give him who is the him, the intercessor, life for those who commit sin not leading to death. This is an incredibly powerful passage. Notice, he, the intercessor, will ask, and he, God, will give him life for those who commit sin not unto death. As we get on our knees and pray for another, the Holy Spirit is poured out through through us. The river of the water of life flows through us to touch somebody else with the healing grace of God. Why does that take place? Because in the controversy between good and evil, God respects the freedom of choice. So God is doing everything he can to reach your patient with the gospel. He's doing everything he can to facilitate healing whether you pray or not. But when you get on your knees in prayer, when you pray with your patient, it accomplishes three things immediately. One, the patient typically will have a greater confidence in you as a medical provider. 84%, according to a CNN poll, 84% of Americans pray at least once a week, 84%. 64% of Americans said we would welcome a prayer by our health care provider. Now, there are some studies that give you lower than that. I read one study that said 19%. But when I looked at that study, it had only evaluated 350-some-odd people, and it was a very narrow slice. But if you look at studies by Pew Research that have done a broad swath of Americans, about 64% said we would welcome prayer by our medical provider. A larger number than that have confidence in medical providers who pray. So when you pray with your patient first, it bonds you with them it takes them out of the realm of being a statistic. It enables them to have that sense that this is a godly physician that I can have confidence in. Second, when you pray with them, it it enables them in that positive frame of mind to release positive chemical endorphins that help to facilitate healing. Thirdly, which I think is the most important when you pray with them, in the controversy between good and evil, although God has been limited in what he is able to do because of the freedom of choice of another as you pray for them God can look at Satan and God can say look I respect the freedom of choice of Dr. Brian Schwartz he is praying for this patient and I pour out my love, my grace through him, my healing power to touch that person with the gospel Jesus prayed for people by name that's biblical, look at Luke. Now, Luke is a physician, and it's very fascinating to me that Dr. Luke is the only one that um, records this particular narrative, and you find it in Luke chapter 22. And I wonder if the doctor is saying something to us today here. Luke chapter 22, and we're looking at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon... Indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. I think Satan asks for our patience. Satan desires to inflict sickness because Jesus is the author of life and health, and Satan is the author of sickness. Sometimes Satan prompts people to have poor health practices, and they can bring sickness upon themselves by their poor choices. Sometimes because of the environment that we're in, the Toxic environment sickness comes. Sometimes it comes because of genetics. But behind it all is the first sin, the rebellion in the universe, the rebellion with, Lucifer, with Adam and Eve and Lucifer's triumph there. But notice, Satan, Simon, Satan has asked for you, verse 31, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus prayed for Peter by name. Evidently, Jesus believed in intercessory prayer, didn't he? And Jesus believed in praying for people by name, because he prays for Peter here by name. If indeed it's true that intercessory prayer is biblical, and it is, if indeed it's true that intercessory prayer um, facilitates healing, how then can we make bridges into the prayer life to pray for others? Sometimes it may seem a little awkward at times, but there are some things that we can do. One of the things is, as one is taking an inventory, as we're talking to people about their health, and we say to them, share with me a little bit about when this stomach pain started. Share with me a little bit about when this neck pain started share with me a little bit about when this heart difficulty began to arise. I've looked at your medical history and as you interact for even those one, two, three minutes with that patient, because I know that depending on your specialty and your background, typically Dr. Bryant is not doing 40 uh, cardiology interventions a day. But my son, who is in dermatology, often sees 35 patients a day. He has trained with Dr. John Chung, who sees a hundred a day. So, you know, Dr. Chung is one of uh, a kind. Uh, But uh, so some of you, we're seeing various number of patients a day. Our interactions at times are not long with those patients. But as one is looking and evaluating where that patient is at in the realm of their experience, one can say... Tell me a little bit about your history. When did this pain start? When were you first diagnosed with this melanoma? Um, Share with me a little bit about your heart problem. If you're a dentist, it's easier for you to talk than it is for the patient to talk. Um, But uh, as you are dealing with those patients, there's a couple things that you can do. If you are a primary care physician or if you're an internist, Cardiologist, oncologist, you can simply say to your patient, here's an interesting thing about the studies that I want to tell you too. There's a gradiated, there's a scale of gradation. And the scale of gradation says this the more critical a person's disease is, the more they desire prayer. You know, if a person comes into you because they have a broken finger, their desire may not be as great as a person who has been diagnosed with multiple myeloma and has six months to live. So there's a gradiated scale. And, um, you know, it's like you know a person with a broken finger and you say, put your hand in the chair, can I pray for you? And they begin to shake. Man, all I came in here was a broken finger. I didn't think I was on death's row, you know. But there's a way to bridge that. One of the things is taking a spiritual inventory. Many physicians have found this helpful they simply say to their patient, would you share with me what role does spirituality or faith play in your life? What role does that play? Um, you know, you've talked to them about their disease, you've talked to them about family, and you just simply ask them that question. That's going to tell you a lot. Another way to do it is simply say something like this. When you face a health challenge, where do you find your support? You know, all of us have challenges in our life, and many of us have family that we turn to support, friends that we turn to support, and I have a very supportive family and friends. But, you know, as a Christian physician, I find great strength in prayer. And, you know, I like to pray with all my patients. May I pray with you? The may I principle enables the individual to say yes or no. Most of them are going to say yes. One of the physicians, not a Seventh-day Adventist physician who I was reading about recently and the whole idea of praying with patients, used this illustration. He said that when patients come into a hospital, and he was a trauma physician, he said when patients come into a hospital, very often they're very anxious and nervous so he offers the, his patients something that they wouldn't think about he said you know when my patients come into a hospital they're so anxious he said I offer them a sleeping pill now I was reading an article on prayer and I thought that's rather strange why why would he say that but then I saw his illustration and his point he said I offer them a sleeping pill and he said you know because it helps them sleep uh, the night before their operation and then he said they can say yes to the sleeping pill, they can say no to the sleeping pill. But, but, they would not have thought of that. And he said it's the same thing with intercessory prayer. He said many of my patients would never think about a physician praying for them. So just as I offer them a medication that the patient who manages their health can refuse, but they may have not thought of that, I offer them prayer. And he said, I use this expression, may I, may I pray with you. I think, Dr. Schwartz, you have uh, used the expression often with your patients. I like to pet pray with all of my patients. May I pray with you? Share some experiences with
0: that. All right, thank you. So, yeah, just so that it's ingrained in all of your minds. I'll say it several times the way that I say it to my patients. But I've just tried to uh, work prayer into my practice so that it's an automatic thing that I offer to do with all my patients. And that's exactly what I say. So as I'm getting ready to close the encounter, uh, we've talked about things. I'll say any other questions. And um, I work real hard to make sure that I'm getting good Preskini scores and that I'm looking Mm -hmm. at my patients in the eye and that I'm addressing all their concerns. So I ask them, any other concerns or questions that you have? And uh, once they say, if they say yes, I'll address those. If they say no, um, then I say, by the way, then one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. Is that something that you'd appreciate? So I always ask them the question. I just say that this is a normal thing I do. I don't want them becoming alarmed thinking that all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. That's just a routine thing. But I would like to just start off that I didn't start off knowing how to do this. I went to Loma Linda, and in Loma Linda, I had one time when I had the opportunity to pray with a patient. And that was when I was on a rotation at Wildwood with Dr. Dave DeRose, who was was down at Wildwood at that time and who was my attending. We had just one patient that came into the emergency room the whole month at Wildwood had an emergency room. He came in with a lacerated ear. And uh, he was an old guy, very hard of hearing, and uh, a lot of bleeding. And so I stitched up his ear and uh, went back and reported to Dr. DeRose that I'd stitched up his ear. And that I thought he was ready to go home. And he says, okay, have you done the most important thing? And I thought, hmm, what is that? He said, have you prayed with him? And I said, oh, no, I didn't do that. So I went back in there to pray with him. But I'd forgotten his name. He couldn't hear me. I was yelling at the top of my lungs, Dear Lord, please bless this gentleman that this ear will heal up quickly. I had no idea what to say, and it was extremely awkward, and I didn't want anything to do with it for a long time. Um, But I was feeling this tug at my heart that there had to be something more to medicine than just practicing um, as a physician, um, just seeing patients and considering that my job, and then going to my church and doing Seminars in the evening for CHIP or for stop-smoking seminars and then going on mission trips. That was my ministry, and I was feeling this nagging concern that there had to be more. And that's when it wasn't actually the very first Amen Conference, but the preceding meeting at Cahuta Springs, where Pastor Mark came and spoke to a small group of about 50 physicians and dentists that spawned Amen. And he challenged us to start thinking about praying with patients. Just before I had come to that meeting, I had a patient who had a critical left main lesion that, as soon as we engaged it with a catheter, blood pressure just plummeted, and we needed to send her to surgery. And uh, there were, I I work in a cath lab with a lot of young people that are pretty postmodern, and I just felt that it would be an embarrassing thing if I was there. Uh, praying with my patients in front of these people. And so I was feeling self-conscious. I was feeling uh, at the same time that I needed to do something more. I just didn't know how to do it. And just before I came to this conference, literally two weeks before, this lady crashed on the cath lab table. and An anesthesiologist came in, and he said there was about 20 people in the room now getting ready to go to the operating room. He said, can everybody just be quiet for one moment? I'm going to say a prayer. And the whole lab came quiet. Then they rushed her off to the operating room after he prayed, and it just stuck me like a dagger what the people that I thought would be judging me for praying were like, wow, that was pretty neat. Did you see that? He prayed. And I thought, ugh, I should have been the one to do that. Problem is I didn't know how, and that's when Pastor Mark came along. So I left that conference determined that I was going to um, put to practice what he taught. I think I was the only one that did. Because when we had the first Amen conference, I reported back my experience and basically been doing this workshop ever since. But starting off, it was a little bit awkward, but it's now the easiest thing in the world because it's automatic. My patients expect it. I get patients from patients who tell their friends and families and members of their church that you need to go see Dr. Schwartz because he prays. So if you're new in practice and you want a cynical reason why to pray with your patients, (laughs) it's good business, at least in Ohio. Maybe not in every part of the country, but it's good business. Patients truly believe, um, truly want it, like he's mentioned. Very rarely do they say no. And uh, I think a reason that it's really important... I actually have the highest Press scores of any of my colleagues in our practice. Now, I do do things like make eye contact. I do pay attention to the patient. I use a scribe, so I don't even touch a computer when I'm in the room. So I do some important things, but I actually think it's because I pray. And uh, patients perceive prayer maybe even differently than we do. That's right. I That's pray right. with my Muslim patients. I pray with my Hindu patients. I pray with uh, anybody who will let me pray with them, Um, even one Wicca, who doesn't believe there's a God and worships the devil, but uh, got tears in her eyes and uh, responded. But I pray with all of them. But what they sense, whether they agree with my Christian prayer or not, they sense and they interpret it that I truly care about them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And uh, so it It uh, helps them, they know that I'm supposed to do a good job as a physician. They know that I'm supposed to make the right diagnosis. They know that I'm supposed to care for them. That's all part of the contract of medicine. But when I pray for them, they see that as genuine concern that I care about them as a person. And that's how they interpret it, even if they don't agree with my philosophy about prayer. And so that gets to their heart, and it gets better scores. That's not the reason to do it, but it's one of the reasons that that I have so um, I first started off just looking for patients that I thought were pretty good people and good Christians and would appreciate it and uh, very quickly I realized I needed to be praying for everybody and it turned out that the ones that I kind of had judged as not interested in Christianity the ones that I wrote off because they were dressed like a gang member or they came in on a motorcycle or they just looked pretty rough those are the ones that would actually start sobbing when I offered to pray. And they would get tears in their eyes. And uh, I've told this story before, but it's a very, very powerful story. And, uh, and this happened within just the first few months of, of uh, learning how to do this. I had a patient uh, named Stephen. who um, Stephen's father died at the age of about 36 from heart disease. And Stephen was now in his 30s. He was 100 pounds overweight, right around 300 pounds. He had all the risk factors for heart disease. He was a chain smoker. He binge drank on the weekends. He was obese, weighing around 300 pounds. And then, of course, he had hypertension, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, um, and very high cholesterol numbers, all the risk factors. He went to the emergency room with some rather sharp chest pain and this. Workup was negative, but they sent him to come see me, and uh, we did a stress test and we looked at everything, and I didn't think this was from his heart. It was very atypical, but uh, I just talked to Stephen. I said, Stephen, unfortunately, you've got every single risk factor. Your father died at the age of 36. You're, you're. I think he was 38 at this point, and uh, so you're on borrowed time. You've got every single risk factor. Asked him about his family life. His uh, marriage was really shaky. He was riding a motorcycle down to, to Cincinnati about an hour away and back to work every single day. He was living a pretty hard life and just crashed on the weekends and, and went to alcohol to try to console his troubled life. So everything was falling apart. And I don't usually do this. Usually I pick one or two things that I want a patient to work on. But somehow I'd just i come back inspired about the power of prayer, and I came back um, and somehow just felt impressed that I needed to tell Stephen what the ideal was. And I put it in terms that God wants to set you free from these things. You do not have to follow in your father's footsteps. God can rewrite your history. And I said, Stephen, the ideal for you is to follow God's plan. God's plan is to not destroy your body through smoking and through alcohol, and God's plan is to be on a plant-based diet. And uh, to get your, that would help get your weight down, would help with your diabetes, help with your uh, cholesterol, and help with your high blood pressure. And uh, I just said, do you believe in God? And he says, "Oh no, I went to church a few times when I was a, a kid, but really haven't been doing that. And I said, that's okay, God believes in you. And I'd encourage you to get back in with a support group, a church group. Um, but is it okay if I pray for you? And he's a pretty rough, 300-pound guy who came in on a motorcycle wearing just a leather vest, no shirt underneath it, a bandana around his head. He looked pretty rough. He just started sobbing. Now, I wasn't a very good doctor at that point. I didn't enroll him in a CHIP program. I didn't get him plugged into our church's smoking program, which I now do with my patients. I didn't even give him a brochure. I didn't give him a book. I didn't give him anything. But I did pray with him, and I prayed that God would give him deliverance over these habits that he was enslaved to. And I didn't see him back for just about a year. And uh, and a year later, he came back, and uh, he looked like a totally different guy. He was wearing a shirt, clean cut, uh, cut his hair, wasn't wearing a bandana, didn't come on a motorcycle. And uh, my nurse Said, well, I think Stephen had his bariatric surgery because he'd lost almost 80, almost 80 pounds, just in a period of a year. And uh, Stephen was on no medications for diabetes, no medications for blood pressure, no medications for cholesterol. And uh, so I walked in the room and said, Stephen, did you have bariatric surgery? Because my nurse sometimes jumps to conclusions, and um, that's really the only way we see that kind of weight loss. And he said, oh, no, I didn't do that. I said, what did you do? He says, oh, I just did exactly what you said. I stopped smoking. I haven't smoked since I left your office a year ago. I haven't drank since I left your office a year ago. I started attending a church. I quit my job in Cincinnati, and I'm working here now. My marriage is doing well, and I became a vegan vegetarian since the day I left your office. (laughs) Now, this doesn't happen most days. This was to encourage me that the plan that I had been challenged on by Pastor Mark could really work in somebody's life. It also encouraged me that in the past, I was making my patients into legalists because I would say things like, you know, you really should stop smoking. Well, he knows he should really stop smoking. Mark Twain says, stopping smoking is easy. I've done it a thousand times. Um, He has no power to overcome smoking, and that's the problem. And so I just tell somebody, you know what, you need to try harder. You need to just crank up your willpower. I'm asking them to become a legalist. If I turn them over to the power of prayer and convince them that there's a higher power that wants to set them free, and I introduce them to Jesus as their creator and their savior, then I think I've given them that power to make real changes in their life. And that's what Stephen illustrated to me. And I now believe, I said it last night, I'll say it again because I said I was going to say it, but if you are not tapping your patients into a spiritual power to set them free from the things that they're enslaved to, then that is medical malpractice. We'll call it spiritual malpractice, but it's just as bad as medical malpractice. To know that you have a therapy that works to deliver people from their alcoholism, to deliver them from their tobacco addiction, to set them free from their food addictions, to help deal with the problems that are causing these things in the first place, and you don't offer that to your patient in any other way of the word, that would be malpractice. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that we as Christian and 7th Adventist physicians know what the true source of healing is. That's the creator. And uh, if we're not tapping our patients into that, at least offering it to them, we're committing spiritual and medical malpractice. I've never seen a successful lawsuit because somebody didn't pray with their patient, but uh, maybe that should be challenged down the road. And so one by one, it's just become... um, it's become a habit. My patients are used to it. It's gotten easier because now patients self-select out to come to me because many of them are being referred. I had a lady bring her daughter in to see me. Her daughter was 23 years old, and at 23 years old, I just assume she must be having palpitations because that's the, that's the one thing I see young people for. I don't see coronary artery disease. Rarely see them for heart failure, maybe for postpartum cardiomyopathy, but rarely would I see a young person and uh, so I came in, and I said hello, and my patient was over in the chair, and her daughter was on the table, and I said, oh, I'm seeing you today. And <coughs> there was nothing written down who referred her. There was nothing written down what her problem was. Um, her blood pressure was normal. Um, she'd had some labs. They looked pretty normal. And I started asking, so are you feeling your heart race? And she kind of nods, No. Uh, So so after asking 21 questions and getting no answers, I finally said, why are you here? And she just looked at her mom. Uh, So I looked at her mom, and her mom said, oh, I just wanted her to have a doctor who prayed with her. So it was kind of cute, but there's no diagnosis to bill for that. (laughs) But uh, that just shows you how important prayer is. And it was so important to this lady who was an elder in her church that I now see at least a dozen members of her church because she says, I got up in church and I testified about you. And so this has the power, like nothing else, to open the door to a spiritual conversation. So let's see. I did want to just go over a couple things. We've got about 20 minutes. And I want to give you guys time for questions at the end. Um, But ministry of healing, page 118, the sick and suffering will have much more confidence in the physician who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his words. They feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of that physician. And that's essentially what uh, Pastor Mark just said. And uh, so why pray? So there is a power in prayer. We've established that. It imparts hope in divine healing. And it points to the only source of healing. But I think there's another reason. When I pray, it acknowledges that I'm not the one that's in charge. Yeah, right. So it has an effect on me, too. Yeah. In fact, it keeps me humble. My colleagues see me as humble. And as a physician, and we talked about that last night, I have a tendency to easily be proud. Um, It comes with the success, it comes with the responsibility we have, it comes with all the things that go with it. Um, And so it keeps me humble. helps me know who I'm working for. And so there's a benefit in that way as well. I've already mentioned that it goes beyond what's expected by the patient. And it opens the door to a spiritual conversation. So sometimes just because I've prayed, nothing might happen for a while. Chief of the fire department um, had valve surgery. And I prayed with him a couple times before that. I see him once a year now to make sure his heart valve's okay. And two years later after his surgery, he was the next to last patient at the end of the day and uh, went through his exam, everything looked good, looked at his echo, everything was fine, and just said, you're doing a great job, let's keep it up. And by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. And he's like, Doc, can I just ask you a question before that? I said, you're a spiritual person. Um, Why do you believe the Bible is true? And so... We had a 45-minute discussion. My nurse knocks on the door, Dr. Schwartz, you got another patient. And he's like, oh, yeah, so sorry to take up your time. And I said, all right, well, great, and I'll see you again another year. Next year, Doc, you're a smart person. Do you really believe that God created the world and he did it in seven literal days? Another 45-minute discussion. Mm -hmm. Now, what I realized is that this guy doesn't attend a church he hangs out at the fire department. He hang, he's got a pretty secular life. Um, I probably grew up with some religious background at one point, but when he started having spiritual questions, he doesn't have a place to go to get answers, mm-hmm. and he's not going to ask his friends because it might be embarrassing. But he knows that well. Yeah, Dr. Schwartz prays. He's a spiritual person. I can ask him, yeah. and so. I become like his pastor. I become like the person that he knows that he can tap into. And I've got example after example of how that's happened. And so the other big thing that I think is really important is a physician who prays and brings up spiritual concerns with their patients. I can reach people that he can't reach, and he's an extremely seasoned and effective evangelist. But how's that true? I get the homeless people that get off the bus and come um, into our office. I don't have to go across the street, across the tracks to the bad side of town to do it. They come. But I also get the Fortune 500 CEOs, and I've got two of them that fly all around the world in their private jets. He can't knock on their doors. A literature evangelist can't get past their gate. He, you couldn't get past their secretary who schedules everything for them, but they come to my office, and I pray with them. And they have spiritual questions. And so... People of all walks of life, all races, and all religions come to our offices day in and day out. And we have the opportunity to meet them and to see them. Then they might never walk into an evangelistic meeting. They might never walk into a church. Um, but we can be the opening wedge. Now, I've gotten a lot better. Now, I encourage my patients to come to our church. For um, We alternate between uh, we have depression recovery. We have CHIP. We have... Um, what else do we have diabetes undone and a full plate diet and we alternate just these different things but we try to always have something going on so um, Pastor Mark these are the principles you basically taught me Um, but don't presume don't just say okay now we're going to have prayer that Mm -hmm. doesn't give the patient the choice Right. so instead ask permission is it okay if I have a prayer with you I think you can do this at a government hospital. I think you can do this at any hospital. I've asked, had one person in this seminar, though, say, you know, I'm in this hospital, and they restrict me, and they say, I can't pray, and I can't talk about spiritual things. And I told her, well, will do the best you can. And then I went home and thought about it and thought, no. She really needs to find a job where she can do what God's calling her to do. And now I would say, you need to change your job. Why would you work somewhere where they handcuff you so you can't use the methods that you know to be effective? So... Um, we will answer that question right now. But once you open this door by starting a prayer, be ready to have a Mm follow-up. And uh, the next thing I've been encouraged by this gentleman, my mentor, is to share scripture. There is power in God's word. The word itself is creative. The word itself has the ability to create faith. And faith is necessary for the changes that we want to see. And so you could quote a scripture like uh, Romans 8:31, "If God is for us, who can be against us?" Or John 15:7, "Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Just have a few verses that you've memorized or open your Bible. It's even more powerful if a patient can read it. open your Bible and just uh, show them uh, what's going on. Ellen White says that prayer should be offered for the sick with calm faith. I was shown that in case of sicknesses where the way is clear for the offering up of prayer for the sick, the case should be committed to the Lord in calm faith, not with a storm of excitement. He alone is acquainted with the past life and of the individual and knows what his future will be. He who is acquainted with the hearts of all men knows whether the person, if raised up, would glorify his name or dishonor him by backsliding in apostasy. All that we are required to do is to ask God to raise the sick up in accordance with His will, believing that He hears the reasons which we present and the fervent prayers offered. If the Lord sees it, sees it, will best honor Him. He will answer our prayers. But to urge recovery without submission to His will is not right. I've also learned maybe you can comment on this, but uh, all prayers that are prayed earnestly, does God answer them? He does. He does. What we don't know is his timing. Exactly. So I've come to the conclusion that it's not even necessarily important that when I pray that a person be physically healed necessarily. There's a far greater thing than being physically healed, and that's being healed spiritually.
1: Right.
0: And as long as they're tapped in spiritually, they're going to be healed physically in God's time. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let me mention just one more thing, and then we'll take some questions, I think. So I always get asked, and so before you ask the questions, I'll just answer that. But what do you do if somebody says no? And um, at first, that was kind of awkward. And um, at first, there'd be a long pregnant pause, and, it'll be a, and I'd try to figure out a way to change the subject. So, okay, say, no, okay, no problem. And in that case, we'll just be seeing you back in six months. And in the past, I used to write a little NP in the chart, no prayer. And I've tried not to bring that up anymore. But now our charts are computerized, and uh, don't. And I use the scribe, so I don't even look at the computer when I'm talking to a patient. And so it's gotten to the point now that I ask the, uh, the no-prayer patients <laughs> over and over and over again, but I don't have a pregnant pause. It's easier to change the subject. But a couple times now it's happened that I've asked a patient that had a no-MP in their chart, and by the way, one of the things I often do is have a prayer, And one of the guys says, oh, no, Doc, I'm an atheist, remember? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember. I I said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, but since you brought it up, can I ask you a question? (laughs) And we just had another 20-minute conversation about spiritual things because he asked me, I won't get into it, but he asked me, how can evangelicals support Donald Trump? And uh, gave me my answer on that. (laughs) So uh, he, he, his, his response was, if he hasn't broken all ten, he's broken at least six of the commandments. And so he answered that to the best of my ability about how he's uh, giving them power in the Supreme Court and they're looking for power now. And right when that happened, they had just moved the embassy in Israel. And so these are things that the evangelicals see as very, very important because of their misinterpretation of last-day prophecy. And so I shared with him our understanding of prophecy. And he said, well, I've never heard that before. He says, so I really have a question. I've read the Bible through six times or five times, and I just can't see how a God of love could allow things like the Holocaust. So this was a 20-minute conversation with an atheist because I forgot to not pray with him. And I didn't pray with him, but we still had this conversation. And it actually resulted in me giving him um, a book called God at War by Gregory Boyd. He's an evangelical, but he references the great controversy. And he read it. He got it off of Amazon. He read it. He said, you know, I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking. And so now I said, okay, there's another book I'd recommend to you called The Great Controversy. So that was the very last visit. And so now he's an inquisitive guy. I suspect he's, and he's a very influential, well-known um, home builder in our area. Very, very, very successful. And uh, I think he's reading it. So I can't wait till he comes back. <laughs> another atheist I just offered to pray with just last week. Oh, Doc, uh, thank you, but that's okay. I'm an, I'm an atheist. It used to be, I'd just change the subject as quick as possible, and now I'm like, oh, that, okay, that's, that's fine. I'm just curious, how did you come to that? Because mm-hmm. now I know most atheists are reacting against the religion that they grew up with. And I said, you, you probably grew up somewhat religious. He goes, oh, yeah, we were, we were uh, Pentecostal. And I said, oh, okay, that kind of explains it. I said, I don't think you grew up with the God of the Bible. He looked at me, he said, what do you mean? And so I'm getting a little bit more bold. (laughs) I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm not rolling over their choice. He brought up the question and asked the follow-up question. I'm just probing a little bit. And usually, as long as you're not judgmental, and I'm not trying to cram anything down their throat, and I'm just exploring it by asking questions, questions lead to more questions. And he's like, hmm, I haven't thought of that before. And so, um, just because they say no, doesn't really mean no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Usually when they say no, it means they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And so now when I have a Jehovah's Witness that says no, I said, oh, do you, do you pray? And they go, yeah, I say my own prayers. And I say, okay, would you like to pray?
3: Yeah.
0: And I let them pray, and they'll pray. And actually, after doing that once or twice, most of the Jehovah's Witness patients that I see on a regular basis now let me pray. And so it's broken down those barriers. And so just got to be a little persistent at times. Um, well, Let's just close on, close on one more thing that I think is important. Um, the final thing is God gets blamed for the diseases in our world every single day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not a day goes by that I don't hear a patient say, why is God doing this to me? Yeah. Or why is God doing this to my family? And so when we address that, by addressing their spiritual concerns, it comes up over and over as an opportunity to say, you know, this isn't the work of God. This is the work of the devil. And it turns into a spiritual conversation in defense of God. And uh, I think that's important that we pick that up as well. So why don't you come back up here. You can have the final word, and then we'll take some questions. Sure.
1: One of my physician friends tells this story. He asked his patient, he said, is it okay if I pray with you? And the patient looked at him and said, Doc, I'm an atheist, but if prayer makes you feel good and treat me better, go ahead and do it. And so there's a lot of times... Let me
0: just jump on that. I've had patients say that several times. I don't believe in it, but if it makes you feel better, go ahead. It always makes me feel better. Exactly,
1: exactly. And so... By opening the door, what we're doing when we say, may I pray with you? Is it okay if I pray with you? We are allowing the person to have that freedom of choice to say no. But also, we're opening the door for a spiritual conversation later. Dr. Schwartz mentioned about um, uh, sharing a Bible text with your patients there is a way that you can do that now that you maybe wouldn't have been able to do that last year or the year before, and that is with the prescription pad that we have given you. You know, the, I trust that each of you have gotten one of our prescription pads with the Bible promise on it, with a place, a prescription from the master physician. Let's suppose you feel quite rushed. Let's suppose you feel uncomfortable one of the things you can start doing this with is just taking out a prescription pad and saying, you know what, John, I'm praying for you. You, you hand it to them. Um, John, here's a little prayer I have written for you. Dear, or dear John, um, I know that there's a loving God in heaven that cares for you and will give you faith and courage. I want to just write that down for you. Here, take that. Read it before you go to bed. You can use those prescription pads as... In a quick office, writing a Bible text, John, here's a promise for you. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. Write it out. Hand it to them. That can make a real difference. Last little story. One of, you remember I started by telling you about a front page article in CNN uh, in uh, in USA Today, which, of course, is is they're basically it's uh, owned by the same parent company as CNN is. But one of the things in that article that impressed me early on is a study that was done with cardiology patients, people who had just gone through a heart procedure. Dr. Randolph Bird in San Francisco had divided up his patients, and there were in that time about 200, 300 patients, and he divided them up into two groups one group were prayed for by Christians and the other group was not prayed for. The people that were being prayed for did not know that they were being prayed for. The people that weren't being prayed for didn't know they weren't being prayed for. The, the report on that study indicated that the people that were being prayed for had shorter hospital stays, they had less infection, and they needed less medication. And Dr. Bird. Response to that was that if intercessory prayer were a medication, it would be malpractice not to prescribe it. So, doctor, come on up. You may have some questions about intercessory prayer. What Doc has mentioned, I think, is is critical asking permission, respecting the person that you're dealing with, showing tenderness, love, and care. But opening the door for spiritual conversations and opportunities. Any questions that you have, situations that may be challenging for you? Yes?
2: Um, I found that um, having time with the Lord in the morning is extremely important mm-hmm. because if that doesn't happen, I find that my um, sensitivity to the Spirit okay. is affected. Mm-hmm. I can be emotionally thrown off. And if I'm not in the right uh, frame of mind, um, it, it keeps me from having the right kinds of conversations with the patients. But, um, you know, I'm learning that um, uh, to pray with patients, more and more in the hospitalist position right now. And uh, I remember this one uh, case where the lady just seemed... Uh, um, she was a heart failure patient she was very very anxious and just kind of rambling and rambling and very anxious and just talking and talking all the time and and um, as we sat there um, chatting for a while you know i offered to pray with her and um it, it just completely like changed her uh, interaction uh, with mm-hmm. me and we, she started to calm a bit i could tell she was struggling with anxiety a lot and um, after we prayed um, I I wanted to offer her a a Bible verse. I had a a Bible verse, "Be anxious for nothing," and that whole uh, whole Bible verse. But I had nowhere to write it. There was nothing in the the hospital room to write it, except right on the uh, on the board. All these the hospitals now have these uh, Mm -hmm. markers. I grabbed the marker and I wrote the Bible verse. I said, "Here." Every time you feel anxious, look right there and read that That's and great. try to apply it to your mind. And um, it made a difference. She was, mm-hmm. she was notably, she started sleeping a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, she started doing a little about So right. it does make a difference.
1: That's great. Now you have your little prescription pad. You can write that thing yeah, out. <laughs> Any other questions, comments, or observations? Any experiences that you have had in praying with patients that have made a difference that you can share with us? Yes.
4: I've been in practice uh, 52 years and prayed with patients that were critical, done a lot of surgery and a lot of difficult things over the years, and now, uh, and prayed just with those who really you felt you really had to have Lord's help with this patient, and I could take care of the rest of it. Well, one day a patient came in, and, and uh, I had prayed with her because she had drug problems and family problems, and I was a little busy this day, and I didn't pray with her, and as I started to go out the door, she says, Doctor, are you are not going to pray with me today? Yeah, right. That's where it's at. Amen.
1: Yeah, yeah. She understood, as probably most of your patients did, that here was a physician that is a praying physician. Any other? Yes. Um, I'm a missionary
4: dentist. I was a missionary dentist during 20 years. And- working in an Adventist hospital, but uh, always trying, and I used to pray with my patients in my mission dreams, but not in my office, it's like in my mind it was divided, uh, work and mission <laughs> and someday God showed me, uh, he impressed myself, why you you the outside and not in your office? and like he showed me your office <clears throat> is a mission field two. So I decided get this is going to be like a chapel. I, I want everyone that crossed that door to meet you. And I started praying. It was maybe 12 years ago, and I had so many experience. So like him, it's like I feel I feel the same. I had the same experience once, and a lot, a lot. And I encourage all of you, whatever you you are, is a mission field, and it's amazing. There is. I,
0: yeah, I would just say I used to feel somewhat almost burned out just going to work day in and day out because it was a job. Mm-hmm. And once it changed into a ministry, I still get tired at times, but I look forward to seeing what's going to happen today. Mm-hmm. And so it's changed the whole perspective to prevent burnout.
1: Yeah, when you put yourself in the sense of mission mm-hmm. and you see yourself as the representative of Christ's love and grace in that office... You put yourself in the center of God's activity. And when you're in the center of God's activity, there's a certain energy that flows into your body from the Holy Spirit. And you don't feel that you're merely there and that people are cogs in the hospital machinery. But every human being that walks into your office or that you treat is a human being created in the image of God that you treat with dignity and respect and the spirit works through you to touch their hearts. Aisha? and then.
4: Yeah, so I had struggled to pray with patients for a number of years and I enjoyed praying with them whenever I did, but I would just select certain ones that seemed more spiritual or maybe more critical. And then a few years ago, we were studying in the Sabbath school lesson, the book of James, and James 3.17 really hit me because it's saying the wisdom that is from above lists all these things and it says without partiality it's without partiality so i felt like i was treating my patients partially by mm-hmm. just offering to pay with some people so after that i just resolved with god's help to try to, to at least offer to pray with everyone and that has made it so much easier mm-hmm. and much more enjoyable it's so amazing. yeah just yeah. making a prayer Amen.
3: thank you Mine has a twofold part. One is that um, I had a patient probably two years ago, maybe more, probably 96 years old, still cranking along. And she told me a story about a mission doctor who had um, been her physician when he left the mission field and came back to the U.S. That he would pray every morning, and that the Lord would give him like a flash in his mind, maybe a vision or something, of some of his patients he would have that day and what was wrong with them and what he needed to do for them for the hard to diagnose patients. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. So I started praying myself. And it's interesting because many times I'll just be praying in my mind and the Lord will just flash into my mind thoughts about what's going on. Not always what's going on with them physically, but what's going on with them emotionally and spiritually. And I had prayed, I had heard a testimony about someone who got the gift of healing, and I thought, Jesus, who has the gift of healing these days? I mean, really, yeah. we rely on all these externals, but what about the real gift of healing like Jesus? Well, I started praying about it, and I've, now what I do is I, as I pray, I many times in my mind or with who I'm working with, I ask the Lord to reveal the why, um, what's going really on at their heart level. And for example, you have someone you're wanting to help them with their lifestyle. Let's say, you know, you have a patient you want them to quit smoking or quit caffeine because they've got a heart arrhythmia or whatever. And, now, and they'll say, I can't do it. I'm just, you know, I'm too addicted to whatever. Or I just, no, this is how I cope with my stress. Or, or I don't want to change. And I'll say, why do you think that is? We get in the most amazing conversations, and just leading them to the Lord then to be their healer of the real issue is, is powerful. And, and I, I have seen spontaneous healings. Yeah.
1: Amen. We'll close by my sharing with you a story, then I'd like to pray for you. I was traveling in South America and in a country that will remain unnamed, and I was scheduled to speak at the Congress there in that country. There was an Adventist congressman who arranged for me to speak there, so I was going to speak on physical, mental, spiritual well-being. I got to the Congress, and shortly after the event was to take place, the congressman came out and he said, can we speak privately? I said, sure. He said, the president of our country is away. He's in China and he's negotiating some business deals for our country. The vice president of our country is in charge. The vice president has been up for three straight nights. He hasn't slept the teachers are on strike and the nurses are on strike for higher wages. There are marches in the streets and very heavy protests. Would you be willing to talk to the vice president? And I said certainly. Now in these protocol visits I have visited previously with presidents of nations and political officials. Usually it takes us weeks to arrange these protocol visits. One of the things in the protocol visits are you, never re- you wait for the president of this country to reach out his hand. You don't embrace them. You don't touch them, et cetera. But the congressman said to me, he said, I will take you right now. We'll go through the back door of the White House in this particular country. Of course, it wasn't the United States. But he said, I know the guards. I've called the vice president. He's willing to see you. And so we were taken there in this limousine, and we came to the back door, we came through the back door. We had the little waiting room that we waited in, and then I was ushered into the vice president's office, or the meeting room next to his office. He came out all disheveled, his hair was messed up, his shirt was not tucked in, it was down. He obviously hadn't shaved for the last few days. Now, on the way, I said to this Adventist congressman, tell me everything I need to know about the vice president. Does he have any faith at all? He's Jewish. He has a Jewish background. Is he a practicing Jew? I don't think so. I think he's a secular Jew. Um, Tell me about his personality. Where was he born? Um, Everything you can. So I knew a lot about him before I got there. We walked in. And um, I knew that our time would be limited. And as we sat down together, I said, I called him by name. I had known his name. I had practiced the pronunciation again and again, so I wouldn't fumble the pronunciation too badly. And as we sat down, I said to him, I understand this has been a hard three days for you. And he looked up at me and he said, Sir, you talk about a hard three days. The nurses are on strike. The hospital personnel, are, the hospital administrators are going crazy. The, edu- the educators are on strike. Our president is gone. My phone is ringing. People are walking into my office asking and asking and asking for more and more and more. He kind of put his head in his hands. He looked up and he said, I'm emotionally exhausted. I looked at him and I said, sir, can I share with you What an ancient Jewish prophet told a king who was in a very similar situation that you're in. Can I share with you at a time that Israel was filled with conflict and chaos and instability? May I share that with you? He said, certainly. I gave him the background of Isaiah 26 and read to him. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee and then I said sir I explained the text to him about that there's a peace that comes that's beyond us a peace in in our hearts when there's conflict in the streets a peace in our society and then I said can I may, is it okay for me to pray with you he said yes and he stood I left where I was and walked over and threw my arms around the vice president of this country, totally out of protocol. He kind of looked at me and we began to pray and I prayed for that man. At the end of the prayer, he, we did a few formalities and then he said, thank you for coming, you may leave. And he said to the congressman, I'd like you to stay. I walked out by myself and sat in the little room and I was a little bit shaken because I thought, What's happening in that room now? I'm not present. The congressman came out all smiles and he said, I want to tell you what the vice president told me. He said, all week people have been coming into my office begging for higher wages, threatening, cajoling. Here a man walked in and he said he prayed. He shared a scripture. My heart is at peace this is the most outstanding thing that has happened to me when you pray for others when you share a Bible text with others it takes the stress that they've been experiencing and gives them a calm let's pray together father in heaven we thank you that we are medical missionaries for Jesus that we are physicians and dentists and medical providers but we're more than that that we are ambassadors of Christ ambassadors of your love your grace and your power father teach us to have the right words but more than that to have the right spirit because we know that when our hearts are right with you that the holy spirit will give us opportunities to share your love and grace with others, and that you'll work on the hearts of our patients even before they come into the office to prepare the soil of their heart for the seed of your word. So teach us how to be compassionate, how to be kind, how to be loving, how to be respectful. But teach us not to be timid in sharing who we are and the belief we have in you And may we see miracles of your grace in the hearts and minds of our patients. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us. Go and pray with your patients, and share the word of God with them and watch what God does.
2: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,